welcome to the Wealth and Purpose Podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to creating wealth in a way that feels really good and live their purpose fully in the process. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive business coach. I'm also a wife, a mom to two preteens, a professor, Girl Scout leader, and well, hey, you get it. Like you, I wear a lot of hats. Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Oh, hey, welcome everyone. I'm so happy to have our guest today. I'm so excited to introduce you to Terry Trespiccio because besides being a brand advisor, a writer, and a speaker consultant, Terry has a TEDx that has just hit 4 million views, and I'm so excited for her to share how that happened, what led to that occurring, as well as I just attended one of Terry's events. I was a speaker there, and some of the golden nuggets she shared were so incredible and so transformative that I wanted to have her on the show so she could share them with you here. Besides doing all this greatness, Terry is also a stand-up comic, which I love. I think that takes the most courage than anything I could possibly muster. So with that, welcome, Terry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Patty, I'm very flattered that you got some great gems, but I hope you remember them because that whole event is a blur to me. I don't remember anything I said. Awesome. Well, I'll but I tend to say, to say things over and over again. So hopefully, yes, you, you, you'll have to prompt me a little bit. So, uh, Terry, you know, anytime a guest comes on here, the place I like to start is to ask you about your definition of wealth, simply because my whole purpose with this is with this entire podcast series is really to introduce our listeners to so many amazing people I've met along my journey who have found a way to make money that keeps them aligned to what's valuable to them and their purpose. So when you think about wealth and you think about making money, what is most important to you? I might have defined wealth, uh, and I probably in some ways still would, as the idea of having more than enough. Because when you think of someone who is wealthy, and of course that we tends to conjure images of people who own things and live certain places and have things, understood. But the idea behind it is that you have more than enough, which means you don't stress over every decision. You don't worry about small things. But I've come to think of wealth in a different way. And I, and I think, I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking of it as a kind of freedom. Wealth to me doesn't have a certain number attached But to me, it means being able to consider and take a range of options, meaning I don't ever have to feel limited to one thing. I can have options. I can choose. And being wealthy means having a lot to choose from. Mm, I love that. Now, are there any limits that you find that you would not do something um, to make money if it cost you X or Y? Oh, absolutely. I there's no, for some projects or people, there's no price tag that would get me to do it because the quality of my actual life matters more. I so love you couldn't, if there was someone who was say a very difficult uh, prospective client or someone says, oh, you should really work with this person. They're a big deal. And there's more headache involved, you know, and there's more pain involved to me. That is not wealth. And I have taken on right when I started, when I went to business for myself, 
many, like one of her six, seven years ago, I remember taking a job because someone else I was working with said, no, you should take it. Stop turning money away. You should just take it. And I said, but I don't want to do this project. This is not my strength. And they're like, just do it. And you can hire someone else to do it, do the work, and you can just take the money. And I was like, that sounds great. But that project ruined a summer for me. I remember every time my phone rang, every time I get an email, I would feel seized with this anxiety and, and discomfort because it was not a right fit for me. And yet the money in the end of the day, like, where's that money now? You know, who cares? It wasn't that much money. And even if it were, you know, what are you willing to sell your soul for? Uh, me, not so much. For me, wealth is having plenty of time to spend how I want to spend it. So wealth isn't just the money to spend, but it's the resources to spend. And to my mind, being more successful in business, uh, well, in the beginning, you think, oh, especially if you're an entrepreneur, Success is being able to, people pay me to do things. Oh my God, I'm in demand. People want to hire me. I say the real success in business is when you are finally able to turn work away. Your ability to say no to work is to me a key stepping stone of wealth because it says I don't need everything that comes my way. Mm, oh, I love that. And I think that's a mindset you can embody from the moment you start your business. It takes a lot of courage, but... You could. You absolutely could. I was a little afraid, like a lot of people, when you're in business for yourself. Where's money coming from? Who's going to pay me? And sometimes, hey, you've got to pay stuff. You've got to take jobs that maybe are not your favorite. But the idea is this is not a way of life. This is a way of meeting needs you have that are more urgent in the moment, but it isn't a way of life. People who continually sell their soul to do work they don't like and to keep doing it, I say, what life is that? Does it mean you have to make millions doing a thing? I haven't made millions yet. I mean, that's not even in my purview, millions. But I feel wealthier than people who I know are strapped with jobs they don't like getting paid much more than me. Yeah. I And I really appreciate that because that's a conversation that's going on right now for a lot of people in my coaching program, my monthly coaching program where it's come up about, well, maybe it makes sense to get a side job while I'm growing my business, or nah. <laughs> maybe it makes sense to do, you know, some project work. And, you know, I do feel like at the end of the day, there is no shame in feeding your babies. There is no shame in paying your bills, but make sure you keep your mindset focused on why you're doing it and, and get out That's of right. that space. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that you do so brilliantly helping people find what their core message is, what their core idea is, is so important as entrepreneurs at least. But I would think even for people in, you know, working for others to understand what that core message is that you're about, because that makes everything else so much easier. Do you agree? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, for a long time, I was like, well, I can write stuff for people because I'm a writer by trade. Like, that's what I do. But then I realized, well, I didn't really want to just write other people's stuff. But the real, the real aha moments, like when you have, if you're like me and you work one on one with people a lot of times, those moments when you feel, as you know, the most in flow and as they say, like in your zone of genius or whatever, when your things are kicking along and you're feeling like you're really delivering the goods and helping someone. That was part of it was the writing, but it was helping them see what they do more clearly. And I realized that, it, and I've tried a lot of different metaphors uh, to figure out what it is that I do, because look, there's a million brand advisors and brand strategists who will show you how to 
get more followers or improve your visibility. And, and there's a lot of that. But like, I'm not telling people how to use social media, right? I think of myself as kind of a stronger prescription lens for people to see themselves through. And you, it, you cannot do it yourself a lot of times because you cannot, you don't know. I can't do it for myself. You can only do it when you can stand back and help someone see what they do from the outside and get to the heart of it. And that's been the most rewarding. And so I've started to say, this is the thing, because I know that it changes the way people see their businesses. I know it changes the way they think about their talks. And really, all of those things come from the same place. It comes from your work and what it means in the world. And I, this realization only dawned on me you know, the past few years, realizing that, oh, that's what I do. So it doesn't hit us right at all at once. Yeah, I think you do. You have to like work with people and work with people and work with people to get more nuanced in what you're about. What what do you find are um, like hold people up from finding their core idea? Or, you know, I think I'm going to guess just having watched a lot of my clients work with this and, and I don't do what you do, but I see them struggling to get at it. And it's almost like they... They hang out around the periphery of their idea, but they don't actually yes. dig down into it. And why do you think that is? Because they're trying to please everyone. They want to offend mm -hmm. no one. They want to appeal to the whole world. And they think that going bigger in their business means they have to go broader. And it's a mistake. You cannot go broader. You cannot. You would not want all the business in the world, even if you could have it. Most people want to work with a very specific group and type of person. And they think that, well, but chances of me finding that are slim. So I'm going to just use a huge net to catch everybody. Or I'm going to like just shovel the stuff out. When I say you don't need a shovel, you need a scalpel. You need to be super specific. And everyone comes to me saying they want that. And there's very few people who don't push back when I'm actually helping them do that. Because they say, I don't want to be, oh, but then I'll lose this. This person, or I want to, and I say, look, I'm never going to tell you who you can't take money from. I'm not going to tell you how to run your business. But if you want to be known by certain people in certain circles or certain, get certain kinds of business and attention, you've got to be more specific, not less. Like if you want to draw the iron fillings to you, you need a pretty strong magnet. And most people do not create a magnet. They go and try to shovel everyone up. They, they, they try to appeal to everyone. Well, I'm, I was just talking to someone yesterday. Well, I want to appeal to, you know, uh, women aspiring leaders. And, and, you know, there's not enough women leaders in the world. And did you know that fewer than 3% of CEOs worldwide are females? And I said, mm, I didn't know that specific statistic, but it doesn't surprise me. But she had nothing else to build on. I go, so what are you saying? That more women should be in charge of stuff? Great. We all believe you. You. We all agree. So what's your brand? She didn't have anything beyond that. And the problem there is that where we agree, we cannot differentiate. So if we all believe in up with women or up with moms or up with, uh, who knows, anyone, any one person, if you're like, I just want to support those people, it's like, okay, but why you? Mm -hmm. And if you're not able to make that real specific, probably you're afraid to do it. You hypothetically, um, it just feels limiting. But what becomes limiting actually, you know what's really limiting is a laser, not a floodlight. A laser is very limited in its, in its scope, but it can cut through things. Whereas a floodlight doesn't do anything, but light up a room, light up a space. So good. And I think that translates into what creates a bit great speaker. Would you agree? Absolutely. That's why I get uh, it. To me, it's all the same work. You know, with this woman who was, I was talking to yesterday, she is going to give a TED talk, a TED talk in, at some upcoming TEDx event. 
And I said, but yes, but let's look at everything you're doing. Like, what are you really saying? And she was trying to, people look at it at a talk, maybe a TEDx talk, maybe any talk keynote. They put it like a hat they're going to put on for the day. And I say, no, this isn't just a hat. It's like, do you wear that hat all the time? Like, this should be your signature. This should be what you say, what you believe in. Why would you waste time being a short order cook of ideas for talks? It's not going to get you traction. It's got to be the thing that you believe in uh, and the thing that's different and it's very hard. And that's why I feel like I very happily and, and gratefully say, I can't imagine I'll ever be out of work because there isn't a person who, who finds this easy, including myself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. So I want to just, I didn't know that I was going to take us here right now. This is my high Go level with of curiosity. Because I do want you to t- share with everyone, you know, what led to you getting your place on the oh, sure. stage and, and your journey there. However, you know, I think I work with so many people that want to speak more. And I primarily work on the functional business side of it, you know, whereas you're working with them and, and how their their content is being developed and how they're showing up on stage and how they're being present. And I have some opinions about this, but I really want you to just be really super honest. Give me the three things you think or two things you think create great speakers or make speakers great. And then those three things that inevitably, you know, bring a speaker down, make them dull, just they will not get booked again. Well, let's start there because I actually had a piece on Business Insider that was shared a ton uh, that really pinpoints the things that in an actual talk, when we just look at the talk, the minute someone gets up on stage and what happens where they become just check a box good, not, oh my God, we need to book that person for our event good. And to my mind, the successful speaker, you step off that stage. If you don't get another booking from that, someone doesn't go, oh, we need her at our event. You don't get business or booking or an opt-in. Then something went wrong there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nice. Because a really great speaker should implore people to act, not just to put into practice what you say, but to want to hear from you again. You know, a talk is not over the minute you leave the stage. A talk is the beginning. It should open a conversation between you and that audience and the people who know people in that audience. Uh, that's where it should do great TED Talks do that, right? They start the conversation. So let me just tell you off the bat some of the small things that that tend to hamper a good talk. Even if someone says, and people say it to me all the time, they come to me for some help and some insight, they're already getting paid to speak, some of them. Or they, they do a little, but they're not getting paid enough or whatever. And they've been doing a lot of speaking. So they are, quote, seasoned speakers. But you know, you could do the same thing over and over again and not be great and still get by. So some of the things I see that are, that I will say I'm allergic to, right? I I start to break out in a rash when this happens is that a speaker gets up and does way too much throat clearing. And I don't just mean actual throat clearing, which is a bad idea, but I mean, throat clearing, like they are trying to make themselves comfortable on stage. So they talk a little bit about stuff that isn't real strong just to get them in the groove. People who don't, and very rarely does someone start strong right out of the gate. They come out, well, yes, as Bob was saying, you know, I'm a VP of sales at so-and-so, and they do throat clearing. They, they talk about a lot of stuff and people are go and look at their phones and scroll through until that person says something interesting again. Uh, I, I love the beginnings and endings of talks are where you 
get people riveted. And then at the end, they go, I need to hear more from this person. Most people dribble in and they dribble out. So rather than come on and talk about your background and talk about who you are, honestly, they don't care yet. You can and should talk about your background, but say something that matters to them first. The worst thing you could do is slow momentum at the outset. So in my mind, speaking is serving. And if you come out there and start talking about yourself, uh, thanks, I'm going to go check Twitter now. Like, why do I need this? So you've got to talk to the audience first. Here's why you're here. Here's something you're, or maybe it is a story, but it's got to hold them from the word go. So starting strong is critical. And it might be a really bold statement that people go, what? And then they're listening to you. Another thing that that people who are just okay speakers tend to do, um, even professional speakers, is they don't consider the audience's motivation. They come in with their can of spam, they open it up, and they serve out the same talk they always do. Uh, you have to think about why that audience is there. Maybe you had a book come out and it's very popular and everyone wants to hear from you. Great. But it's it's a courtesy to shape your talk at least a little bit to the crowd of people there so that the talk you give to a group of financial analysts is different than the talk you give to a group of creative marketers and creative professionals. And for instance, I do. I speak to creative professionals every year at this big event uh, called How Design Live. And then I speak to a lot of financial crowd. They do not have the same needs. They have similar things. There is an overlap. That's why the talk, I could give the talk at both. But you have to think about why they're there. Did they pay $300 a ticket? Did they pay $2,000 a ticket? Did they pay $10,000 a plate for a fundraiser? Or are they there because if they don't, they're fired? And so you have to think of your two clients. It's the audience who's the end user of your talk, but it's also the people, as you know, Patty, the people who hired you. And the people who hired you have a different motivation than the people in the audience. Uh, the people who hired you, I've literally been told by an event organizer, yeah, 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 we want you to inspire them, but not so much that they leave their jobs. So you don't go in there fired up about how everyone should quit their jobs and start their own business when you were just paid by Chase Bank to go and keep them happy where they are and make them better contributors there. You must collaborate with that organizer to deliver what they want, not just what you want. And don't you think, Terry, if in, you know, in staying alignment with who you are, if you can't honor what the meeting planner's needs are, you, That's need, right. you need to be honest about that. Yes. I mean, if someone said, hey, listen, we want everyone here to be like afraid of this idea of going out on their own. I'd be like, well, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. But usually the event organizer might not be the best at trying to communicate what they need you to do. You have to come up with the ideas. That's where the creative process to me comes in is uh, I don't say to an event organizer, so what do you want me to talk about? I say, why are they there? What would you most want to happen as a result of this talk? Before I introduce any kind of topic, because they think they know, but they don't necessarily, or they, they think they know and they haven't actually communicated it the way they want, uh, they want you to do it. And yeah, uh, sometimes maybe you do it wrong and, and you don't know why. I still, to this day, have an event organizer who was all hot to trot. We talked about the talk for a year. After that talk, she has not spoken to me again. <laughs> I don't know why. And everyone else loved it. I have no idea what happened. I need to reach out to her again. I mean, I sent her a gift after the event, a thank you card. Something went wrong there. And I am half afraid to find out. Maybe I said one thing that that bothered her. But if I'm going to learn, I've got to ask. So I am like working up the courage to find out. We don't ace this. We do the very best that we can. I might be wrong. And she'll say, no, I was just busy. I, we were done. It's over. But you know, you've got to have the courage to find out. 
have you done what you said you would do? Did it really ring with them? Not just, did I do a good job? Was I likable? That's very just part of it. You know? Yeah. I, you know, to that point, I have a, um, like one of my ethical bribes or, you know, free things I give away is a guide on finding speaking engagements. And one of the follow-up emails that goes out for it says just what you said, you know, make sure you understand you have a honest conversation with the meeting planner and you understand what he or she wants, not necessarily what you want. What you want. That's right. A meeting planner just emailed me back like two days ago. I guess she must've found it somewhere online. And she was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. She said, because the majority of people that come to me do not get this. So just for everyone listening, believe me, listen to what Terry's saying. If you can get this and really nail this down, you will be part of the 1%. Oh, absolutely. They, there. You have to look at it as not as, oh, me on stage just putting on a big show, but that organizer, that company, whoever has you in there, that is your client. It's just a different business model. It's you come in and do this thing and go. And you know, how do you know you did a good job? Not only did the event organizer like it, and maybe, who knows, maybe it, there can be weird stuff going on there, but did you get opt-ins from it? Did people opt in to get a copy of the slide deck or your giveaway or whatever it is? Did people reach out after? You know, measuring that response from the audience is really key because if you're doing what you, what you, you know, want to be doing and it's aligned with your business, people should want to follow up and say, hey, I, I, we want to talk to you about possibly doing this or helping us with this. So it's, it is takeaway. People go, oh, it's just motivational speaking. Patty, you know how I feel about the word <laughs> motivational. Motivational is a little bit lightweight. It's like, oh, I'm just going to make you feel like you can do anything. Bye. It's like, no, you need to give us real tools and a real new way of seeing stuff. Uh, and so every talk should be motivational. There isn't a talk that isn't. And if there's motivational speaking and regular speaking, who the heck wants to do regular speaking? And no one wants to listen to it. I, uh, I have to no, say something about that, Terry, because I um we we met in a very interesting way in that someone told you I would would be a good fit for what you were looking for for your event, but we yes. never really met. But from the moment we've connected, I have felt so in alignment with you. And yet, yes. when you and said you feel it, yeah, and I and I just adore you. But when you said that from the stage, like. Oh, I would never call myself a motivational speaker. And it's so funny because like that is like my proudest title. Like, <laughs> Oh my God. Well, the truth is that means you're doing your job as a motivational speaker. But, but what's everyone else calling themselves? Boring speaker? Yeah, Run-of-the-mill speaker? I but yes, I, I just, when people, you know why? Maybe because I never felt like when I thought, think motivational speaker, I think Tony Robbins. I think like big, big, big. And I always thought if I, maybe, maybe it was a sense of like, how do I know if I claim that? you know, like, oh, I'm a motivational speaker because I have a bad aftertaste from like the 80s and 90s, of most, mostly the 90s, 80s, I wasn't really thinking about much, but the 90s of being like, oh, motivational got this feeling of being very lightweight. And I, I wanted to, and your stuff is not lightweight and my stuff is not lightweight. And so I, I don't like someone going, oh, they're just a, uh. whenever I hear someone say, oh, just a, uh, or that person's a, you know, whatever. I just want to make sure we get credit <laughs> for actually doing what all speakers should be doing. Well, and, and you know? the thing is, I don't, I didn't feel bad about that. I think that's actually a really clear differentiator between my brand and your brand. Like I think that's, and, and, and who we are at our center. I think we share values and, and we, from the moment I met you, I adored you. And yet 
you know, where you see your place and your role on stage, I think is different than mine. It's different. It's the reason why that word repels you and it completely magnetizes me. So I love that you say it. It doesn't, it didn't insult me at all. I just thought I'm always curious when I find someone so compatible with, with the way that I see the world and then to find out where our nuances are different. And the reason yeah. I point that out is because for you listening, it's important for you to know that difference. You know, even like if I get booked to speak and I'm going to uh, explain why Terry's different than me, this is going to be part of the explanation, you know? So I think all of it's valuable. And I think that- so. And I, yeah, go ahead. All of it should be motivational. All of it. Elise Bennon is one of my favorites, favorite speakers. And she does not aim to, she's not a big personality. She's not like that. She's very practical. And you, when you listen to her talk, you go, oh my gosh, I can do this. And so people have said, oh, she's not really motivational. She's more of a practical speaker. It's like, and I said, but she says the practical should be inspiring. It should be motivating because if you're given those tools, you know what to do. And there's nothing more motivating than that. So I think motivation is really, or motivational is really the term at question of what does it mean? And I guess I never wanted to seem uh, too smooth or, or shellacked. And that was my fear of being cast that way. But look, I've been in lists of people. They're like, oh, one of these motivational speakers. I'll take it. I'm not turning down any acknowledgement. I'll take it. But it was my own fears that someone thought I would just... Uh, I was just putting on a show, which by the way, I also love to do. Yeah. You're no lightweight girl. (laughs) Thank you. So So you said, what else? So what else? So what makes a speaker great? Well, I think you got to the heart of it because now I I know where um, I want to stick to time and I have a couple more questions, but to go for it. When you, when you kind of said that, I think it all comes down to, do you have courage when you show up on the stage in your willingness to be of service to both the audience and the person that booked you? And either you're operating in that courage and then everything else you said comes from that, or you're operating in a very self-focused way, which does come from fear. But at the same time, when you get up on that stage, it's either about you or it's about your audience. And the choice that you make in that moment is what either creates an, an amazing experience or a really blah experience. Yeah. They want to feel served. And the way to serve it is to not figure it out when you get there either, right? It's not to yeah. like, oh, I'll figure it out when I get there. It's kind of like being well-prepared is a service and having a specific one idea. And that's very, I think, critical that there's one idea, one big tentpole holding up the talk. And most people, they are afraid they don't have it. So they just fill it with stuff. They put a ton of stuff in the talk. Oh, I covered all these things. My talk was about all these things. I say, no, it should be about one thing. And so that's the challenge. How do you make your your talk razor sharp? One idea. And that was the thing I wanted, you know, one of the three things that you said that at that event that I really wanted you to bring home for the audiences. Um, I mean, you have an entire process. And just for you listening, those of you listening, when I watched Terry's process to get to that one idea, it was so eye-opening. And it made me so aware that, it seems like it should be simple, but it's not. And um, what do you think, Terry, is the key? I mean, one thing that you could leave the listeners with, I know you have an entire process, but what's one key thing you could leave the listeners with that might help them move towards their one idea? 
understand the assumptions you're making when you come at your topic, no matter what your topic is, say, okay, well, what does everyone already think about this topic? What are, what are the general ideas about it? What do people think? Ask people, think about it, write about it. Okay, we all know when more women should be CEOs. Blah, blah, blah. What are the assumptions? Now, what is happening right now that's influencing this talk? Because a talk happens in the moment. The talk, even if it's the same subject, would be a different talk five years ago than it would be today or five years from now. So there's a lot of things influencing it. What do we know about it? What's happening now? And then how do you take one of those assumptions and turn it? If you come in to gild the lily and say the thing that everyone already knows, oh, they like you because you're a cheerleader for their ideas, but you didn't challenge their thinking. And in the parlance of TED and TEDx, you must have a through line. And one thing that it, and the through line is just, well, it's a good practice to have. Can you sum up your talk in 15 words or less? You're, you're not just your whole talk, but the idea. What idea about X do you want to change for the audience, because they already think, oh, I can't do this. A motivational speaker would say, for instance, everyone thinks they can't because they don't have enough money. Well, I'm going to show them how they, they can. When you challenge an existing idea, you disrupt someone's way of thinking and they remember it. They're, it's stickier than, hey, you can do anything. Well, that doesn't really stick with me. It doesn't really make me believe it. But if you change the way I assumed that this was the reality and you're changing it, that's a big part of what I do when I help someone funnel through, I call it the idea funnel. How do you funnel your idea based on that? Like if you go, well, all women should be, women should be da, 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 da. I go, okay, what's the counter argument to that? Argue the other side. You cannot hone to a fine point unless you can argue both sides and figure out where those touch points are and what is it that you really want to say. And usually you might be a little afraid to say it. And if you don't feel a little of that fear and the fear that you could be wrong or someone might disagree with you, if you don't feel that, it is not something that will stick in the mm -hmm. craw of that audience. And that's what you want. I love that. Take, so it, take, take it from someone who likes to pick fights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can find it. The quality, I mean, if people knew you in person, Terry, they'd see like you're just so charming and lovely, but the quality of your voice does kind of sound like you're a fighter. It really does. Yeah. I sound, do I sound mean? Because I'm really no, not. I just sound, have a gruff voice. <laughs> no, I think you sound gritty. Oh, well, yeah. And I think that I'm also always been afraid that I didn't know enough and that someone would prove me wrong. And I still have a fear that I am out of the loop somehow. I don't know enough. That's my own little fear. We all have our own fears, uh, little things that haunt us that aren't necessarily true. And that fear, that's fearful to me. So what I do is like to compensate for that. I've always said, yeah, you think this, but I think this. And my effort to make something a little different than what other people say is also my way of saying, hey, I don't have to think how you think. Hmm. And it's, I'm sure it serves a deep-seated psychological need on my part, but it works and people do hire me to do it. So it's okay. I, I'm happy with it to be unresolved at this point. <laughs> people are paying me. I've got proof. I'm, I'm I've got proof, but they also love it. They yeah. love it. If they hated it, I don't pick fights with my clients, but I pick fights with the ideas. And I say, but why, but why, but why? And we go deep down. Like most people want to dance around the surface. I draw them right down into the rabbit hole themselves. And, and to me, that's the only way to get at the real stuff. Hmm. And it takes about an hour. In an hour, I will have gotten to the bottom of that with someone. So good. So tell, um, if you can do it quickly, tell everyone how you ended up with your first TEDx talk. Oh, it's very simple. Yeah. It's really simple. Okay. I got that TED talk. 
it came out of the blue. Why? Because someone who followed me on Facebook, who I had never met, he just knew who I was, literally have no relationship with this person. He said his company was hosting the TEDx, had hosted it every year. It's the biggest TEDx in the country or was TEDx Kansas City. And he said, hey, someone dropped out of our lineup. Do you want to be put in touch with the organizer? Because they're looking for someone to take this empty spot. And it was a month before the actual TED event. So I didn't have six months before. I had literally 30 days. And I got on and talked to that person who was a brilliant organizer. And I talked to him every day for an hour on Skype. Um, and I said, here's what I think. He said, do you have an idea? And I already had been already kicking around ideas. So I said, what about this? What about this? And together, the way you do with an event organizer, collaborated to find the thing that felt right for his event, but that was unique to me. And he loved the idea and I acted as if it was happening. So what did I do? I wrote up the outline. He said, can you do a draft? I started to write a draft. I just acted like this is happening. And I got it, but I wasn't the only one. There were other people who wanted that spot. Uh, but I got it because the idea was a standout. And I believe that's why. I'm not so special. The reason why people watch that talk is not because it's me. No one knows who I am. I'm a nobody. Uh, the reason people like it is because it helps them feel better about the struggle they've had, which is, oh my God, why don't I know what my passion is? How can I not? How can I follow something I don't know if I have or not? People love that idea. That's why I say your ideas are important. It doesn't matter who you are. So I just want to kind of revisit what just happened in terms of what you just shared with everyone, because there's so many pieces there that are so important. And it's so easy for people to see someone that has a TEDx talk that just got 4 million hits and to say, oh, that's I that can't be me. And what you just said is you show up online as yourself. And that was what got you booked. That's it. I told him what bugged me. I said, I hate that people say, oh, just follow your passion. Everything will fall in line. I go, that's never helped me. I struggled as a result of that advice. And I don't think it helps. And he said, well, what does help? I said, I don't know. I want to think about it. And I came up with it. I wrote my way into the answer. I did not have the magic answer. In writing about it, which is how you create any great talk or bit of content, I wrote my way into the answer and I discovered the answer. And it, I discovered it for myself. And so when people saw the talk, it then they discover it. If, if you're not discovering something new in your talk, you're handing out spam. And we're going to have- It's got to be something that threatens you, no, you know, I'm a little bit. I'm sure as people are listening, they're thinking, but what's the talk? Because I actually never said it. So it's- Oh. Stop, isn't it? Stop searching for your passion. Yeah, sorry. Stop searching for your passion. Yeah, that's it. That's the talk. It's 10 minutes. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny because when I watch it, in my head, I always translate the title into stop being such a big fat baby. But yes, that's right. <laughs> which is why I was slow to get it out of my mouth. Because when I tell people to go watch your talk, I I usually don't do it because someone's like being a big fat baby. But you know, they kind of know they are. And I'm like, go watch Terry's talk. It's stop being such a big fucking baby. Oop, explicit. <laughs> so but we'll put it's you know, stop being a baby. Right. <laughs> we'll put the link to that in the um in the uh, show notes. So there was one other thing that you talked about. I mean, there was so much at Tap to Speak, which was Terry's event that I won't, you know, that I loved, that I would love to share, but you know, it was a two-day event. So <laughs> Right. There's a lot. <laughs> We're not going to share it all. The the final thing I wanted you to tell everyone about was, and you really only made mention of this. It wasn't part, you know, part of the core presentation. You said that your business changed. When you stopped yep. working with clients, and I don't remember how you described them, so I'm going to let you take it from there. 
Well, I didn't stop working with clients no, for sure. Stop, I started working with working. the right. Company. Yes, that's what I mean. Stop working with clients that were there. You go. Fill in the blank. Well, again, as you know, as someone who works with people, uh, we want people who are coachable. They don't have to agree with me, but they have to be willing to discover something new about about themselves or their ideas. And so, I know right right away, people will give you the signs. Like the friction goes up, the walls go up. They go, but I can't do that. They have a million reasons why they can't do a thing. Uh, that's how I know that they're not meant to work with me. But for TEDx, and and I I want to say this specifically because people do come to me with this. They go, oh, I think if I have a TEDx, my business will grow. There is no one-to-one correlation. I have 4 million views. I do not have $4 million, but boy, do I wish I could charge a dollar or even a 25 cents for every person who watched it. Uh, it is not meant to make you money. Uh, but what it does is raises your profile so that if someone's thinking about hiring you as a speaker or is interested in learning more about you and that TEDx talk comes up, that can change or at least make them now go from 40% to 80% sure they want you to speak at their event. So for me, it's been a calling card. Uh, it changed my business because that TEDx has ha- is having a moment. It's been having a long moment. And so people go, oh, wow, uh, what else is this person up to? So getting your idea out there, which TEDx in a lot of other things are thought leadership platforms, get your ideas out there so that people are drawn to you. It doesn't mean I don't do any outreach. Not true. I do. But I changed who I worked with. And again, back to my definition of wealth, I will just turn people away if they think they're not a fit. I don't feel desperate for people's work. I don't ever convince anyone. Uh, I sent someone a proposal the other day and he said, oh, that seems expensive. And I said, oh, for you. That, that just to me, and this person has plenty of funds to put into stuff. I said, you don't value it, which is the whole reason why I ain't chasing you. Because I want people to say, wow, this is what I need. So in my mind, the speaking elevates the business because it shows you have lots to share and that if people are the right fit for you, they will find you. It's like putting out the bat signal for business because then you draw the people who are interested. You're not going to convince people who are not. People say, how do you convince people of your value so they'll pay you? I said, you're talking to the wrong people. So good. Such a good point because it really does speak to something that I I talk about with the different words and I say, you know, to people, you need to surrender to the process. You need to let go of your yes. thinking you're going to go get your business. What you need to do is open yourself wide open to yes. people and let them come to you and then you embrace them. And and you frame it for them. Yeah. Positioning and framing is key so they understand. Your job as a salesperson, as a business owner, is to make sure it's very clear what you're offering or how it will change someone. It's not proving, I swear, I'm worth it. My God, that's the worst. And I told you, Seth Godin told me himself privately, the, any complaints you have about your business is because you have chosen the wrong clients. And it's like, even when you want them or they, you think they're choosing you, you're choosing them by ch- deciding to engage with them. And like some people are just blacklisted. Even a group of our friends here, Patty in New York, would be like, "Yeah, no, 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 no we're not working with that." But like the, they give the impression that they are just way too difficult. Good luck. Those people have a very hard time finding consultants to work with because word travels fast, and we none of us has enough time uh, <laughs> to be bound to people who are difficult. That's a big, a big aspect of well. So you just um, touch on one more thing that I think is so fabulous sure. that you just slid in there. So I think we just have to really quickly say. So yes, Terry has had personal conversations with Seth Godin. She's had lunch with him and we can't, we don't have time to tell the whole story, but 
No, no, no. Having, but I did meet him because, yeah. because of the TED Talk, I got invited, or because I was doing speaking, got invited to another event where he was also speaking. Mm-hmm. You can meet amazing people at events. And I was on a panel. I wasn't even giving a big talk on my own up there. I was on a panel and he watched the panel and said, you seem interesting. Let's stay in touch. That, you can't even buy that. You can't get him to be, be interested in you unless you're up there showing who you are. That's the reason you want to be real good on stage. You cannot afford to be anything less than great because you don't know who's watching. Mm, So good. So good. Okay. So I want to give you um, a couple of commercials. I'm going to give you a couple of commercials. You didn't ask for them. For those of you listening, uh, Terry, the event that I spoke at was amazing. And I know Terry is going to be doing another one in the spring. But before that, she is offering, and I think she has two or three more spots left in her intensive. That's right. Very intimate. And it's going to be starting soon. So it's starting like now. Yeah. Starting now, but there's still time to enroll. It it ends with a the culmination of a a three-day retreat where we will write your Ted Worthy talk together and you're going to get feedback on it and it's going to be intense. Yeah. That's happening in October. Um So that's one thing. There's a few spots. There's not a lot. Even if everyone listening wanted to come, they could not. There's not enough room. But um, Patty, I also, you know, offer this as an online course. If people are like, well, I want to learn a little bit more about this approach and use the tools, the online course is probably the best way to go for now. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to point the URL pattylennon.com forward slash tapped, T-A-P-P-E-D, to whatever is available for you um, through Terry. So you guys will have it, whether you're listening to the podcast when it goes live or a year from now. And I highly recommend you check out Terry's work because I'm telling you, I hadn't met her before I spoke on her stage and I was blown away, blown away. And I've told so many people about her already. And it's only been a few weeks. So Terry- I appreciate that so much, Patty. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I adore you. I adore you. you one of the good guys or good gals, whatever. Okay. Some <laughs> pronoun stuff going on. So one last question is, as the listeners hear their goal is to create wealth with purpose, what advice do you have, you know, either specific to speaking or just life about walking that journey while creating wealth and still walking your purpose? Make sure that what you're doing to earn money, it, because that's part of it, we have to do that on the planet, is something that you feel brings out the best in you. Yes, your goal is to bring out the best in other people, but you know there's a lot of ways to do that and you might not like doing all of them. Uh, so make sure that when you're the highest value, the most that you could possibly either charge or whatever, the highest value for you will be when you are in the zone and doing what's really great for you. It might change over time, but be very wary of taking things on that you quote unquote could do or that would be good because of the money. It should never be just because of the money. We all need to make money, but I don't do projects based on money. I do them like, do I want to do them? You're, where you spend your time, is your life. And if you're paying off debt or just paying off what clients want and being a short order cook, you're going to resent the one life you have. So make sure you're doing what feels best and provides the most service to other people will be what lights you up. Mm, So good. So good. Thank you so much, Terry, for being here. It is such a privilege to have you on this podcast. Thank you. You're a rock star too. I mean, God, you really blew us away. So thank you for that. Love you, girl.
Love you. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening and um, check out the show notes to get access to Terry's courses and her amazing material. Bye everyone. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wealth and Purpose podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found us. It fills my heart when I read a review and helps us reach many more people. So thank you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.